Howdy, friends. Welcome to the XD Podcast, a show that explores how design shapes the way we experience brands, products, services, and our everyday lives. As usual, I'm your host, Tony Dosat. Whether you're joining me for the first time or have come back for more, I want to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. And if you find value in this show, I would be honored if you took a moment to share this episode, hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening, or left a review. It's always greatly appreciated. And with that, what do you say we just jump right into the interview? Okay, okay. <laughs> it's always interesting starting. Because yes. we've been talking, and then yep. we're like, oh, hey. <laughs> I was just thinking, what if I just decided to not? Yep. So thank you again for coming out here. Sure. This is Thanks Jason Osborne. And I was introduced to you from a former coworker, um, and then you and I had coffee, we chatted, and... I was like, this guy is the man. And uh, what I thought would be like, oh, a sort of half hour, a little chat over coffee. We were there for like an hour and a half, just like digging in. I loved and that it. was cute. It was. I loved it. Um, I felt the same about you. And well, it was, I think that's why I went an hour and a half, because there's just naturally the conversation flowed and it went all sorts of places. And it was incredibly interesting. Now, let me, I'm just going to poke real quick at your LinkedIn. Okay. Sure. This is a new segment that I'm calling Stalker. Yay, experiment. All right. Okay. So we did the TCU thing. Mm-hmm. We were BFA graphic design. And then you founded and you were creative director, digital producer for SMPL Creative. I guess it was simple. Yes. What kind of stuff did you do with that? A lot of graphic design, a um, lot of animation, um, you know, it was in Flash, did a lot of motion design, started getting interactive, um, so that sort of stuff. So I worked with clients, I loved working with, um, I really loved working with small businesses, helping them improve their um, branding so they could be mm. more successful. Um, but worked with a lot of other companies too, um, did a lot of freelance, things like that. Next up is something that we have in common, and that would be a strategist here at Bottle Rocket. Yes. Hey, we've talked a lot about Bottle Rocket. Yep. Um, you were a strategist and also part of the AWE or AWE division. Yes, the Anywhere Watch Experience. Yeah. I, I loved it, and I was uh, outrageously appreciative of Bottle Rocket for supporting uh, an, an idea like that. So it was really, uh, this is where I fell in love with the product, digital product. Um, so uh, and got to do, honestly, a bit of the entrepreneurship thing um, with building a product, you know, uh, in an organization um, where we largely, you know, helped brands extend themselves into the mobile space. But um, Awe was a, uh, it was an Anywhere Watch Experience. It was a video everywhere platform. Um, so back when, uh, when Newsstand Kit came out, um, way back in the day, and, yeah. and uh, you were able to subscribe to magazines. I mm-hmm. was like, "This is great," but I want this for my TV shows. Like, I, I couldn't stand. I couldn't stand cable for a long, long time. So it was a cord cutter early on. And I remember talking to Calvin and say, "Hey, wouldn't this be cool if you could actually do this with TV shows?" He's kind of like, "Yeah, it would." And and he's, you know, is it possible? He's like, "I don't know." And so it kind of gave me the idea that, um, oh, let's go see if it's possible. And uh, we kept kind of pushing this idea along and kind of branded it, and on the side of all the other projects that I was working on as a strategist was kind of pushing um, all along and got it to a point where um, 
we ended up selling it into NBC Universal mm, and nice. became like a real thing. And, and um, we had this platform that um, it, it was it was just an awesome exercise and, and it, it kind of playing in the middle where you had the end users. You had to approach it from both sides and kind of meet in the middle. So you had the end users, but you also had the producers at we knew that there were producers at um, these different um, uh, networks that wanted to um, present their content in a very specific way. Uh, they wanted to be unique <clears throat> excuse me, to their shows or their, their brands, the content and the layout, not just, um, you know, not, not just the photography, but even how they presented. We knew that, that things would change seasonally, right? So mm. um, we knew advertising needed to be a part of it. There are all these factors that had to play in terms of um, how they wanted to manage the content to present to their audience. So not only did it need to be a good experience for the end user, um, it had, uh, it had to be a good experience for the producer that had to manage all the content to get it out to the end user. And so we had this whole back end that, that it needed to support as well. And uh, a just amazing team of, of talented people that there's just a lot of thought that went into, um, went into the product and, and went into um, how it was going to be used by the multiple, you know, people that were involved in, you know, creating and then delivering this product to an audience that was gonna, then going to be consuming it. And then Pinata. Co-founder Pinata. Yeah, so uh, fell in love with digital product through awe, and then um, had an opportunity. I uh, really wanted kind of a sort of experience you could you would might get it in, you know on, on the West Coast in Silicon Valley or something with a mm. startup. Um, and at the time, there weren't a ton of opportunities here to learn that other side, right? So had the opportunity to lead a consumer mobile product, which was essentially an app that was based on um, it was um, messaging that was time and place based mm-hmm. and so the idea that um we kind of ma- i would like to be manufacturing serendipity right so this idea that you send somebody a message you let them know that they get it but they can't open it just yet they have to wait to the right time at the right place that's to cool where the message actually has context in that moment well um knowing that as humans our attention span is very short so we, we see that we're like okay cool we we forget about it. we move on to the next thing very quickly it creates the great opportunity for having the app to, when you do hit that time or that, that place, notify you that that thing that you got before that you couldn't open, you can now open it. And you're actually at the time of the location where the content of that message is incredibly relevant, kind of bringing you and the original yeah. sender together again in that moment. It's like, oh my God, this is great. And then you can respond, you know, back to the individual. So many possibilities or something like that, right? So we were, you know, taking pictures of, of Starbucks gift cards and leaving them at Starbucks. When people would get there that had the app, they would like, walk in thinking they were going to buy themselves a coffee, but hey, somebody bought them a coffee, right? Mm. It was really, really cool, and it was uh, fun. Learned a ton. It was, it, was a, it was a short-lived project for me. I think about, it was about a year, you know, worked on it, um, and um, yeah, learned an absolute ton in that, in that short, short period of time. Um, so was there a B2B play also? No, honestly, I'll be quite honest. This was a solution in search of a problem. That's probably one of the biggest oh, things I learned. Yeah, this was, this is, a, we have this really cool thing. And at the time, it was, you know, if you had a, I think the window for investing in teams uh, of, of really talented people with a compelling product, the window was closing, uh, which rightfully so. Like, I, I think it's smart that investors, you know, invest in businesses that have proven you know, like, hey, you've, you've got a business model. This is revenue first. You've figured out how to sustain on your own for when this doesn't happen. This was, I think, an idea that that was uh, it was very cool. It was very, very compelling. But, um, you know, we didn't have a sales team that was going out and, mm-hmm. and, you know, pitching this idea to brands and, you know, all that sort of stuff. It was um, it built a product. Also learned the importance of building a, an audience even before actually you start building right. a product, right? You go get and you start reaching out and building that audience. So it's 
you know, there's a big marketing uh, side of things and building of awareness that I think is important. And then while you're building your product, you're continuing to build that audience and kind of, you know, take them on the journey with you. And I do believe that that is, uh, we didn't do that. It was uh, totally didn't know to do that, right? Like I came from building product, you know, uh, having the experience with awe, which was purely focused on the product itself, not necessarily on, well, how do we create a buzz? How are we going to sell this? How are we going to turn this into a business? The whole nine yards. So you said it was... Um... A solution in search of a problem, yep. which I think, uh, you know, often can be the case with yep. these things. And especially with creatives, because mm-hmm. I'm thinking of my own life and you'll have like a great idea for something, but it didn't stem from the recognition of this is a problem. This is why it's a great idea. At least for like, I, I had a lip balm subscription service company that I started, right? And I just had this great idea because I love lip balm. It yep. wasn't it wasn't solving any problem. Mm-hmm. So how do we get around that? Like I'm sure some great ideas spawn amazing products that mm-hmm. are very successful. I mean, I would say that you identify the problem first and then you start attacking it. But sometimes it's not. That's totally right, and it doesn't have to be right. So I think it depends on what uh, what the purpose is. So. I like to break things down, I guess, in this, this category, like there's utility and, and entertainment, right? And so utility is, uh, for me, like, uh, I love building utility products or solutions because utility solves a problem, really. Mm-hmm. But on the other side, there's this entertainment. I think pinata was much more of an entertainment type thing, and I think those are harder. So for utility, like, if, if we're, you know, and I'm using hand signs right now, which are totally not <laughs> relatable on the podcast. But if you're, if you're, um, if it's a utility, there's pain, which means that if you have a, a, a level, say we'll, we'll kind of in the middle and you're fine, right? And you're experiencing pain, you're below that fine line, right? And if you're building utility, you got to at least bring somebody at least back up to the fine line, hopefully past the fine line, right? Mm. And so you're starting where there's pain, you know, to relieve the pain. But for me, entertainment type things, Nobody's expecting anything. Everybody's fine, right? And so yeah. to elevate them without necessarily a need, that's that's a challenge. And I think it's totally worth doing. It just, it takes time, right? So I think the first step um, is really seeking to understand, right? Like if you have the idea of doing lip balm because you love it, awesome. You should totally do it. Jump in. You're going to learn. Um, but give yourself two years to uh, figure out how to make that successful, which means if you have to make money from it, right? This is the business side of things <laughs> right. you have to factor. If it's something you're doing because you want to make money from it, it, it may not be the thing that you're going to necessarily do immediately. Or you might have figured out a way to do that. But if it's more of a, of a, a kind of a passion project, you just love it. So you want to you share that love to the world and curate amazing you know, lip balm and, and, and create a brand that people really love. That's going to take time. And so it's understanding in that moment, what do you want from the thing that you're about to do? So you could totally start the other other way, but right. it, it comes back to understanding, you know, asking why, right? Why are you doing this? Um, what do you expect from it? What do you want? And I tell our kids who are entrepreneurial minded, um, hey, if you're going to anything you're going to get in and do, awesome, go and do it, learn from it. You're going to take those things and apply it to the next thing you do. Um, but mentally prepare for doing it for a couple of years to figure out how to make it profitable, right? right. And, and that's okay. Like, uh, make, you know, chase, chase progress, not perfection, but give yourself the time. So with that in mind, if you need to go get a job to just put a roof over your head and food on the table, go do that and have your side hustle where you're doing this thing, you know, until it can become the real thing that, you know, that, that you can do. And so totally possible to approach it as, I just love this, I want to do this, 
Just know that that's, it's going to take time. Both take time, but when there's not a pain point to alleviate, yeah. you, can, you know, um, you create that thing, you still go out and you put your thing out there, you go get feedback, you take that feedback, you iterate, you adjust on the next thing and you just keep going. But it just, it takes the time that it takes to do. And if you decide after a while, this isn't fun anymore, totally fine too. But at least you're not, you know, you're not relying on it to yeah. put food on the table or, you know. We sold six months in. We were like, we're done. Damn. <laughs> we got these babies we got to take care of. Yep. We can't concern ourselves with lips. But every... Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you've got other lips at home you got to worry about, yeah. right? That want food in them. But- and I think you're so right about either scenario, and I've never heard it broken down between utility and entertainment quite like that before. And I think that's dead on because each scenario has their why, mm-hmm. but it's different. For us, with this lip balm thing, it was a weak why. But so how do you find your why? Well, I, don't, I was going to say, I don't think that's a weak why. If that's what's important to you in that moment, that's totally fine. Mm. Like, lean into it. Everybody's why is unique, right? Mm. And so, but asking the why, might un, that's always the most important thing because it uncovers. Like, it helps you understand better. And when you understand better, you can solve better. And so by asking, your why can be totally, and it's yours. So if that's what you wanted to do, that's fine. And your why for stopping was just as valid. Um, right. And that's life right and so I was watching this movie with Simon Pegg one time and there was this line that said I always butcher this so hopefully I get it right right now it's not about the pursuit of happiness it's about the happiness of pursuit mm-hmm. have fun going on the journey it's an experiment and even if it doesn't result in what you are hoping it results in the things you learn from doing it you apply to the next thing like if you're of the mind to go and create a lip balm company it's a good chance you're going to have other ideas that you're interested in enough like this podcast that you're going to lean into right. and put the time into create and make and, and do right it's just an experiment you might get tired of this at some point to be like 500 episodes i'm good i'm going to go do something else <laughs> yeah. right and so everything you learned about doing this you can apply to the next thing that stacks that stuff stacks that experience stacks and you know and makes you, you know, it's almost like an RPG game, right? Like, you know, you get more dexterity, you get more, you know, everything <laughs> right. you do, you, you you stack those skills, and then before you know it, you know, you're you're doing something that's just you just love and are amazing, or the things you go and, and tackle seem to go smoother, right? They seem to find success earlier than you know than when you were completely kind of stumbling mm. through, you know, early on, right? And um, you've leveled up, you've leveled up exactly. <laughs> and when you approach it as an experiment, it's as opposed to pass fail, right? Which is, I know how we're raised and how we're taught is pass fail, but the reality is it should be an experiment. It should be going to go do something. Let's see what works, right? And then if it didn't work, why? And then try it again and do it again, right? And and just just to me the experiment thing just I get images of a kid with a chemistry set like let's see what happens, right? Yeah. And when you change that mindset to be like that, it's less. It's for me at least it became less frustrating. And for teams that, 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 that I work with that where we introduce that sort of thing, the pressure is taken off to have to get it perfect. We don't want perfect. We want progress. Mm-hmm. We want to be able to learn from it so we can move to the next thing and just repeat. And then people tend to have more fun with the process that way, which means they're getting happier, they're getting more creative, they're, they feel more comfortable um, problem solving, putting some ideas out there that might, you know, I mean, not, not every idea is great, right? That's just a reality. And so, but when you're putting them out there like that, it's like interesting what if we did this, right? You know, sometimes they're right. great, sometimes they're, they're, they're awful. And that's everybody. Everybody is the same, same for me. I have a lot of great ideas, a lot of awful ideas as well. <laughs> we just, let's just keep having ideas, right? So let's jump back into the stalker mm-hmm. segment real quick. All right. We did Duo. That was another uh, thing that you started 
right? Yeah, so I went back into consulting, and, and there were a couple of clients that, that I got early on. Um, after the pinata experience, I said, okay, focusing on revenue-generating businesses, like startup, like still like working with founders because um, just really like working with founders and, and that passion and, and what they were willing to do. And they were, they were willing to like to listen and, you know, and take the advice and, and you know, really lean in. And so when you, when you get together with them, they, there's, there's that power there to, you know, once you take the time to understand them and what they're looking for, there's a lot of power there to, to generate some, some real value quickly. And so found a couple of companies that were um, uh, revenue first. Um, my uh, friend and CTO that I actually worked with, with here at Bottle Rocket named Peter Taliancic, he introduced me to a company called Caraloop. Mm-hmm. And then I had met uh, the founder of a company called Dash Digital Auction Showdown um, uh, on an elevator heading to a One Million Cups uh, meeting in, in downtown Dallas. And um, those two were the first couple of founders that um, started working with um, as duo, and uh, really all the things that I had learned, um, started applying all that uh, to these uh, two companies, and, and they're, they're both still going, um, both doing really well, and it was, uh, it's just been a blast. So, so yeah. Caraloop was a client first? Yes, they were client first, yeah. And now you're the CEO, but it's not the chief executive officer, you're the Ex- chief empathy. Yes, chief empathy officer, yes. So what does that mean? What does chief empathy officer mean? What yeah, is- yeah. So um, empathy is one of our one, one of Carol's values. It was one of their values before uh, we got there. So service, empathy, integrity, and innovation—four uh, core values of, of Carol Loop. And and when I arrived, um, uh, the founder Michael Walsh had kind of come up with this really unique um, um, model organization, this, this org model, which we call a value-centric org model. And it's not your typical, your standard like top-down. It's more of a bit of a matrix. It's like literally this. This we have this this grid of circles that are kind of all collect, connected by nine, uh, lines with, uh, you know, a circle in the center. And so you've got this, the founder in the center, Michael is the CEO in the center, and then you've got these circles on, on around the outside. So four circles on the outside, and that's, you know, chief service officer, chief empathy officer, you know, chief innovation officer, and, and chief integrity officer. And so for us, the, that, that's where that started. It just so happened that empathy is the first step and, and most important part of, of design thinking, and honestly, designing anything for humans. Uh, and so it just... Worked out beautifully in that sense, and and um, just adopted the uh, you know the title for for both of those reasons. But I mean, chief experience officer, uh, you know, head of design, you know, CDO, like that that sort of thing. It's design related, but uh, in my head, I'm responsible for the the care loop experience, right? Mm-hmm. Um, not just the brand, right? Not just the experience that that um, that people have utilizing the service, but also the experience the employees have internally. It's it's holistic, right? Oh. So. Um, for me, experience design has, has, I've always thought of it more holistically. I know mm-hmm. we talk, we talk a lot about customers and users and, and the end result and as it relates to software, but the reality is that the design thinking framework, I mean, it's the creative problem solving, you know, for humans, um, it works for anything. There's humans at either end of it. Always, always. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, um. I'm here because there's a human that has a podcast that asked me to be here, right? And, right? and I'm a human that would love to talk to the human with the podcast, you know, create the content that other humans hopefully consume and enjoy and find value in. Mm-hmm. It's just, just anything you look at. I mean, there's, there's humans on either end of it. So this idea of, of empathy being the thing that gets you to understand them um, before you design things for them uh, is huge. And it's, it's the key. You have to start there. Seek to understand before being understood is... is Seek to understand before being understood.
But I think oftentimes we get into um, that's the way it's always been done, right? Like oh, yeah. you, we get into a rut. We get complacency, right? Conventional. That's why I say there's a fine line between conventional wisdom and, and complacency. And it's but it's human nature. So we know that that's going to happen. It happens to all of us. It happens to me. I'm, I've got several ruts that you know, and you know whether it's working out or healthy eating or whatever, right? Like things get to a point, you get into a rhythm, it becomes easy, and you stop questioning, you stop thinking, you know, about it or whatever, or being aware. And so I think. For us, it's been great. The ability uh, it frees people up. Um, I know our our team has voiced uh, freedom with the idea of this is all an experiment. Let's all come to the table with some asking why and seek to understand, and let's do this. and And it's great. And and we roll with everything as it comes. But we were rolling with it a, as a team. And um, you know, people have buy-in. We're aligned. And if we feel like we're not, we kind of come back together. And I feel that's part of my role as well. Um, my son's about to turn three. And he has started doing the why that all three-year-olds do, and it's yep. why, 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 why. And I can't tell. Half of me gets annoyed, but the other half is so proud. I'm right there with you. That's how I was raised. My mother would say, never stop learning, never stop being curious, da, da, da. But the second that I asked why, because I said so. And mm. oh, I, that, that irked me to no end, because a lot of times I wanted to do better. I wanted to really understand and know, So because I knew understanding and knowing essentially impacts my time, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I do believe that time is the most valuable commodity that we have, right? So we got to be very respectful of each other's time and, you know, and, you know, being, I don't like being late. I hate when people show up late, you know, to, to appointments, things like that. But not telling somebody because I said so is a potential waste of time for that individual, right? Like helping them understand, it's, if they're asking why, they had enough energy and, and, and interest to ask the question, right. right? To put forth the effort to ask the question. And so they may not like the answer, but I'd rather give them an answer or the answer and then ex- help them understand. So when they go off to do whatever it is they're going to do or, you know, however that might impact them, it can inform whatever time they're about to spend, you know, in their life doing whatever it is they're going to do. However, they're going to take that information, you know. Um, and sometimes the answer is I don't know, which is totally fine. Um, oh, yeah, sometimes the answer sure. is, if the answer is why, it's like, I don't know. And then you, let's go find somebody who does, right? Now you're both on the journey. Now it's the Wizard of Oz. We're collecting people to go on a journey, right? <laughs> I don't know. Hey, Google. Exactly. <laughs> exactly, yeah. The final question is, what object or thing that is non-digital that you own means the most to you or has added most value to your life and why? So um, I know that you asked this question, so I could not help but think about it. Sure. So there's, there's actually three things that I, that came to mind immediately. Okay. One I'll let fa- you do three. Okay. Thank you. One is fairly new, but, um, I have, um, I have, uh, a Boston hat that, um, I'm from Massachusetts. I grew up in Massachusetts. And so I just, I have this hat that I've got a couple of them and I don't, I'm, I'm a bigger fan of hats that are worn mm. that are like, you know, ripping and, you know, um, there's just to me this I'm fat I just want to know what the stories are behind that hat like what were you doing when that hat was worn sort of thing as opposed to hats that are crazy clean yeah. like I get it as a fashion statement right you know clean hats and line yards get that but I'm just much more interested in that so it's, I feel genuinely I have emotion I have the feels if I lose that hat or something happens I have strong feels <laughs> and so it's you know, it's just a hat right it's what I wear when I go work out you know, it's, you know, in the morning because I don't want to, you know, get up and comb my hair in the whole in yards. My hair's kind of longer, so it's, you know, it's, it's a pain in the mm-hmm. butt, so it keeps it out of the face and everything. It's just, it's a hat that I wear when I go to yard work. It's a hat that I wear when I go do stuff, right? 
Um, the second thing is a pocket knife, actually. So um, I've kind of gotten into everyday care, EDC, everyday care stuff, yeah. like the idea of being prepared. I know you get talked before about that on, on, on the podcast a little bit, uh, multi-tools and stuff. And a, uh, a buddy of mine recently gave me one that I've been kind of like holding off getting for a while. It's a uh, James Brand pocket knife called The County. Oh. It's beautiful. Like, in term, being a designer and everything, it just... Uh, I just, you know, fell in love with it when I saw it well, and everything. It was pretty. just kind of, you know, holding off on getting it. But he just knew it and got it, and it was uh, amazing. It was just this awesome moment. So um, that thing is near and dear to me, and always keeping its little, you know, felt sheet so I don't scratch up the walnut on it. But um, And then the third thing is from my my daughter. Um, she, when she was around six, she would write little notes and just leave them, six or seven, I guess. Write little notes and leave them everywhere. She's real sweet, right? So little notes and leave them everywhere, whatever. Be on the pillow, be on my desk or whatever. And then one day I came and there was this little note written in red Sharpie, thick Sharpie, on a fluorescent green lined um, like note card. And it says, dear comma dad. So totally not putting the comma in the right place, <laughs> which I love. Dear comma dad, believe what you say and do. Love, Ava. And just, I don't know where the six year old, I, I haven't never said that phrase before at home or anything. I don't know where she got it from, but this is just something that popped in her head. She felt it was important to communicate and then write down a thing and left it on my keyboard in my office. And I just loved it. And it was, she's like, I'm like, you know, tear. And oh, then the place most. it on, like, right in front, you know, my little shelf right above my monitor. It's, it's there always. But in my head, I always say, dear, comma, dad. That's just yeah. how it flows. <laughs> so. Oh, I love that. What a sage little girl that was. I know, I know. Well, thank you again. Time flew by here. Dude, Doesn't thank you. Always... This is always a blast getting to talk to you and spend a bit of time um, swapping stories. We got to do this again. Yes. And with that, we will call it a week. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you did, be sure to share it with your friends, family, or coworkers. As always, you can find the show notes and full transcript at xdpodcast.com, or stalk me on Instagram at xdpodcast. I can't wait to have you back next week, but until then, friends, stay curious. The XT Podcast is part of XT Media, LLC, and is produced and edited by me, Tony Dosat. Hosting and publication of the podcast is through Buzzsprout. 